episode 104, Mannequins for Dummies. I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the April 7th, 2010 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. Did you know we have a dummy in the museum? Wait, let me rephrase that. Other staff members might take offense. Did you know we have a mannequin in our collection? Well, we do, and he's not your run-of-the-mill department store mannequin. Join curator Laurel Fritch and me as we examine a silent partner that was used for training hospital staff and emergency workers in the 1960s. And then, for today's episode of Six Degrees of William Allen White, we asked you to connect our favorite newspaper editor with the famous blues singer, Billie Holiday. Did Mr. White have what it takes to sing the blues? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, Mannequins for Dummies. So joining me today is curator Laurel Fritch. Hello. And uh, she's going to be telling us about a very unusual mannequin. And Laurel, what is this mannequin called and what makes it so unusual? It is called the Chase Hospital Mannequin. And what makes it unusual is that it's the same size and weight as an adult male, and it's designed to practice medical procedures on. So it's not the kind of mannequin that you're going to see in a shop window. <laughs> so you can't dress them. I guess you yeah. can dress them. You could, yeah, you can dress them. So uh, who designed this? Well... It was a woman named Martha Chase, and she lived in Hartford, Connecticut. And in 1910, there was a woman at Hartford Hospital Training School for Nurses, and um, she was really looking for something that could help her train nurses in basic medical skills. And so she asked uh, Martha if she would make these dolls. And... The reason why she decided to contact Martha was because she was Martha was already a very successful doll maker in her community. She started off by making just cloth dolls for her kids and neighbors. And um, then after that, after only maybe about 10 or 20 years or so, a local department store contacted her and asked if they could sell some of her dolls in their stores. And then after that, um, she got maybe four or five local women to help her in making these dolls. And then within about 10 years or so, um, all of a sudden all of her dolls are being sold all over the country at major department stores, places like Macy's and FAO Schwartz. So within the span of about 30 years or so, um, she had built this very successful cloth doll um, business. So she seemed a pretty good choice for this local nurse. Okay, so then you said in 1910, Martha received the commission from the training school Mm -hmm. to make these hospital mannequins, and it was named the Chase Hospital Mannequin after Martha Chase. Yeah, that's right. Um, The first Chase Hospital Mannequin wasn't actually produced until 1911. took Martha a while to figure things out, and uh, the nurses nicknamed her Josephine. And uh, Martha continued to improve the mannequin's design, and by about 1914, it became adopted nationally and internationally. So, again, just like uh, Martha's cloth doll business, it just took off very quickly. So how did Martha go from designing cloth dolls to mannequins? 
Well, Martha's father was a doctor, and her husband was too. So it's convenient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for Martha, really, doctors and medical procedures and things like that had always been a part of her life. So it was something she was very familiar with. So it was fairly easy for her to figure out what might be a good way to design the doll. And obviously, her husband could help her. Yeah, out. that's nice and good partnership. Mm -hmm. So I heard you say Josephine. So does that mean the first mannequin was a woman? Yes, yes, it was. Or a female. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, okay, all right. The mannequin has the museum mannequin is male, correct? Correct. And uh, when did the Chase start? When did Chase start making male mannequins? Well, male mannequins were made in the 1940s at the request of the U.S. Army, and they requested them in order to help train their medical corpsmen who were planning to go off to fight in World War II. So do we get our mannequin from the Army? No. Um, actually, during the uh, late 1960s, the Shawnee County Civil Defense purchased this um, from the Army surplus. For what purpose? Well, um, Originally, well, now the uh, civil defense is called emergency management services, and what they do is they provide and coordinate resources in emergency preparedness and response and recovery, and so they bought this with the idea of being able to train their personnel. And what kind of personnel are you talking about? Uh, primarily firefighters, volunteers, um, county and city um, public work staff, people along those lines. And so were they taught like first aid, is that what this mannequin was Yeah, used CPR, um, the Heimlich maneuver, mm. things like that. So they did a little bit more than that too. They also used it in rescue training. The instructors constructed mock collapsed buildings and they ended up running exercises in which the mannequin needed to be rescued. So um, basically they would take uh, the mannequin and bury it under a bunch of rubble and things like that and then whoever was being trained had to go and rescue the mannequin and then they would provide a scenario so maybe it had a, a, a collapsed lung or something like that and so then these people would have to perform a particular medical procedure on it to save this person. Um, and so because it was the same size and weight as a regular person and they could practice these medical procedures on it, um, it was a really great resource for the civil defense. So it sounds like the Chase Mannequin has gone through a lot of rubble and collapsed buildings. Yeah, yeah. Chase, Chase has a, a good um, bunch of battle scars. So uh, Chase, you've named him? Yeah, 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 we, we named him, we named him, um, but you know, don't you name new things that come into the office? Um, you know, you have names for your new printers and photo, you know, photocopiers and stuff like that? Well, yeah, I guess so. You know, last name printer, first name stupid. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm with you there, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for joining us today, Laurel, and telling us about our mannequin. All right, it was my pleasure. Okay. Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. 
And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today and flying solo is Museum Director Bob Kuckeisen. Hello. Yep. And we're kind of short-staffed today, so Bob, you're yep. going to do both the background and the solution for today for today's Six Degrees Challenge, right? That's, I am indeed. I multitask and, with the best of them. Yes. yes. And Nikayla will be back with us in two weeks. Yeah, back for the April 21st episode. So. Yep. So today is the birthday of perhaps the most famous blues singer in history, Billie Holiday. Uh, could you give us some background on Lady Day? You bet. Well, she was born Eleanor Fagan in 1915 in Philadelphia. She's a little older than I always thought she yeah. was, but yeah. Uh, 1915 in Philadelphia, and she's born to a single mother, and the girl who would later become Billie Holiday, because she's Eleanor Fagan, uh, had a pretty difficult upbringing. Her mother had become pregnant at age 13. Oh, wow. Yeah, was kicked out by her parents. So... Billy's mother worked a number of odd jobs and was gone from the house a great deal of the time. So she, Billy, was essentially pretty much left in the care of other people for the first 10 years of her life. And she was often truant from school, and she eventually was sent to a girls' reform school. No, not, not the easiest of upbringings. Um, she was reunited with her birth mother, who had since moved to New York and uh, was working in a brothel in Harlem. And so Eleonora who would later become Billy Holiday, joined her there. And um, no good way to say this other than she eventually began working in the brothel at age 14. Ooh. So I guess the positive side of that was that's where she first heard the recordings of artists like Louis Armstrong and uh, Bessie Smith and kind of got um, you know turned on to all of that. After spending a few months in prison after the whole uh, brothel was raided by the police, she changed her name to Billie Holiday and had teamed up with a neighbor who was a tenor sax player, and they began to appear in some local nightclubs. And at one of these clubs in 1931, the noted jazz clarinetist and band leader Benny Goodman heard her. And um, you figure 1931, she would have been 16 at the time, so wow. pretty impressive. And her reputation as a singer began to grow. She made her first recordings with Benny Goodman in 1933 and again in 1935. And she had this really amazing, distinctive way of improvising on the melody that kind of caught everyone's attention. And she soon became one of the major vocalists of the era. And other musicians and singers began imitating that style. Uh, she began recording under her own name and with a lot of the major bands of the era, including Count Basie and Artie Shaw. And she continued recording and performing throughout the 1940s and even appeared in a few films. No huge roles, but a few appeared in a few roles. And she unfortunately began experimenting with drugs and eventually was arrested in 1947 at her New York City apartment for possession of narcotics. And in her autobiography, Lady Sings the Blues, mm -hmm. which obviously most of us my age know her from the, <laughs> know it from the movie, but uh, in her autobiography she wrote of the court case when she was arrested for uh, possession of narcotics. She said the case was called the United States of America versus Billie Holiday, and that's just the way it felt. <laughs> Well, she pled guilty and was sentenced to a federal prison, but was released less than a year later for good behavior. She continued to record through the 1950s, but unfortunately, again, her drug abuse, drinking, and uh, several relationships with abusive men, she'd had several husbands and lovers over the year, caused her health to deteriorate. And on May 31st, 1959, she's taken to the hospital in New York City, suffering from liver and heart disease. And then to add insult to injury, she was arrested for drug possession as she lay dying. 
Uh, she finally lost her battle and passed away on July 17, 1959, at the age of 44, but left an incredible legacy of music. And I mentioned her autobiography, Lady Sings the Blues. Her nickname was Lady Day, and that had been given to her by one of her musical collaborators, saxophonist Lester Young. And in 1972, Diana Ross played Billie Holiday in the movie, Lady Sings the Blues, which I think a lot of folks are familiar with. It's based on the autobiography. Uh, Holiday has since been posthumously presented with a Grammy Award, and in 1994 her image appeared on a U.S. postage stamp, and she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of all things, in 2000. So, cool. here's Billie Holiday. Great, thanks. Now switch your hats, switch oh. your hats okay. and give us a solution. Solution, yeah. Well, I haven't had to do this for a while, so it took me a bit longer <laughs> than expected. Michaela, yeah, yeah. she would have come up with it like that, but <clears throat> I think I have a fairly decent solution, and I went with that kind of short film career she had mm -hmm. rather than singing. So, okay. Billie Holiday appeared in the 1947 movie New Orleans. And New Orleans was directed by Arthur Lubin. And Lubin had a pretty prolific directing career, but like a lot of folks who directed in the 30s and 40s, he pretty quickly morphed into directing for TV. And he directed a lot of classic TV series, including Bonanza, Mr. Ed, My Three Sons, and <laughs> The Virginian. Well, The Virginian featured a guest appearance by the actor Barry McGuire. And Barry McGuire played the role of Mr. Bonner in the TV movie, 1977 TV movie, Mary White, which is based on the writings of her father, William ah. Allen White. So, there you go. Great. And uh, what's the challenge for our next episode? Okay, wow, I guess... Yeah, you're just doing everything, everything. today. <laughs> Challenges, solutions, anyway. Well, okay. Well, uh, as we mentioned, our next podcast will be on April 21st, which is the day before we all celebrate Earth Day. And this year is a special one as Earth Day celebrates its 40th anniversary, hmm. having been established, obviously, in 1970. I'm also a mathematician. So for our next Six Degrees of William Allen White, we want you to, to connect Mr. White to Earth Day. So if you think you can connect William Allen White to a celebration designed to inspire awareness and appreciation for the Earth's environment, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That's podcasts with an S. That concludes episode 104, Mannequins for Dummies. To see photos of Chase, the hospital mannequin, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on podcasts. Our website is also the place to find out everything that's happening at the Kansas Historical Society. You can research our collections, check out a calendar of events, find directions to our library, museum, and historic sites, and even become a member. For more fun stuff, look us up on Facebook and become our friend. Just search for Kansas Historical Society. Join us in two weeks when Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin stops by to take a look at a quilt that has a fascinating story. When you think spoils of war, you probably don't think of quilts. What's the story behind this one? Come back in two weeks to find out. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Okay.